Coming up on Garden Talk. Pressure treated two by fours. I space it out around five feet and goes the length of 34 feet. And then I have the opening on each end with a door. Green lacewing larva. And that's what the alyssum flowers are for because they'll eat that while they're staying around and getting to the mites or getting to the other pests. The plant doesn't care. I'm an advocate for that. I really don't think the plant cares about the science that we keep trying to implement on it. I think it's overboard. It's just a sales tactic. The California spider mite will swim through almost all your products. You have to be spraying diligently like every three days. It was 122 degrees in there. And the plants were just praying, not worried about a thing. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Groat, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This is episode number 22. In this episode, I interview Frosty McNasty. He has been gardening for seven years and grows a variety of plants, such as tomatoes, bell peppers, strawberries, medicinal, lavender, rosemary, sunflowers, and much more. In this episode, we talk about greenhouse growing. We cover everything from how he built his greenhouse, pest prevention, supplemental lighting, light deprivation, and a little bit about how he grows his plants in his greenhouses. That's right, greenhouses. He has multiple. If this is your first time tuning into this channel, I would love to have you subscribe. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. That helps with ranking and also helps reach more people. Some of you have asked about other ways to support the podcast. I do have a Patreon if you'd like to support in that way. The link is patreon.com slash mrgrowit, and there are different tiers on there that unlock various rewards. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors. The first sponsor is Dutch Pro Nutrients. Dutch Pro sent me over their entire lineup of nutrients, and I'll be using them in an upcoming grow. They are a plant fertilizer company that was established in Amsterdam 30 years ago. Their nutrients are available in several countries across the world, and they have everything needed for proper plant nutrition. They have different base nutrients depending if you're in soil or cocoa, hydro, and also different base nutrients if you're using hard water or RO water to really dial things in. They also have pH regulators and additives such as CalMag, Silica, PK Booster, and more. I'll leave a link to their Amazon store down in the description section below, and you can use coupon code MrGrowIt10DP for a discount on their products. The second sponsor is Spider Farmer. Spider Farmer now has a bar style series of LED grow lights. They have the SE3000, a four bar fixture for a three foot by three foot grow space. The SE5000, a six bar fixture for a four foot by four foot grow space. And the SE7000, a six bar fixture for a five foot by five foot grow space. These grow lights have quality components and they're sold at a lower price than comparable fixtures on the market. They also have other style lights, such as their SF series, which is a board style. They have grow tents, an inline fan, and a carbon filter. I will leave a link to Spider Farmer down in the description section below, and you can use discount code MrGrowIt5 during checkout for a discount on their products. The final sponsor is Manscaped. Summer is here. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Also inside this package, you'll find their weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. Compliment your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MrGrowIt at manscaped.com. 
That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code MrGrowIt at manscaped.com. Escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. All right, now let's get into the episode. All right, so here we are with Frosty McNasty. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I've been watching you for a while. It's crazy to be up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining me. I've been watching you for a little while, too. And uh, one thing I noticed is that you do a lot of greenhouse growing. And uh, I haven't had anybody on the podcast yet that does greenhouse growing. So I'm super excited for this one to kind of dig in and find out what you do in the greenhouse. So, uh, okay. But before we get into all of that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into gardening? Well, a friend of mine showed me that plants are the future. You know, you need to learn some agriculture, feed your family if the worst case scenario. Um, So we just started out strawberries, bell peppers, all kind of easier things, squash, everything like that, zucchini. And um, the greenhouse is great because you can just control the cooler season. You can heat it up. And you can vent it out when it's hot. When it's hot, it is kind of difficult to keep it cool, though. That's an issue. So you decided to launch a YouTube channel, and now you're showcasing plants, right? When did you launch the YouTube channel, and um, how many subscribers are you up to now? Uh, I, embarrassingly, I'm only at 5,500 subscribers, and I've been doing this for, like, 2016. But um, it's starting to pick up more and more now. People are seeing the channel and they're like, I've never seen this channel. I would have been subscribed. So maybe I'm doing something wrong in the algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube algorithms is definitely tough to, to work around. I mean, they'll, they'll black list you like that, you know, no, pro- no problem. So, but no, 5,500, that's a good amount. There's people who would kill to have that much, you know, uh, that's, that's a really good amount. Yeah. So, and then you also have a podcast channel now, huh? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. The Green Table Podcast with my co-host Beast Coast. We're having some fun over there. That's how I initially found out about you is through that podcast. You did an interview with THC Titan, uh, the breeder of Square One Genetics. And that one, uh, I was super stoked to hear. He dropped some gems on that one. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you guys are doing your thing over there. I'm super pumped that you guys have that going. Something I tune in from uh, time to time. And uh, for those audiences watching or or listening in, just search Green Table Podcast on YouTube and you'll uh, come across it. So. Yeah, I appreciate the look, man. We're just over there having some fun, kicking back. Definitely good times for sure. So let's get into greenhouse growing. So let's talk all about greenhouse growing. I think it's probably most appropriate to start with kind of, you know, I know you have multiple greenhouses, right? So can you tell us like a little bit about what size greenhouses they are and the construction? Like, uh, you know, there are several ways to construct a greenhouse. What do you do? How did you build it? It's all a learning, a learning thing. The first greenhouse was a 10 by 34. I still have that up, and I just used the space because that's what I had. If I could go longer or wider, I would have. But for some reason, this 10 foot is so easy to manage. You can put the great amount of plants in there. Everything could be healthy. The fans are going down um, the center row. I have about four beams going down the center. PVC goes over. Well, let me just start about the construction. So the outside, I'm using two-by-fours, pressure-treated two-by-fours. I space it out around five feet, 
and goes the length of 34 feet. And then I have the opening on each end with a door. Um, you just construct a door. You know, it's just simple two-by-two two framing. Something really simple just to keep it open or closed to, to vent out. And then I run a two-by-four across the top for the frame and then put 20 foot of PVC. And that goes from just, just start it at the two-by-four and wrap it all the way around the top, screw it in, put some plastic on it, and that's it. It's really simple. What type of pla- is there a special type of plastic that you put over the top or or what? Uh, six mil plastic works. I had this woven plastic, but it wasn't UV rated, so it, the sun just burnt it up before the season could finish. Wow. Okay. And then I know in one of your greenhouses, you have like a material on the bottom too. It's like a black material on the bottom. Shade cloth. Shade okay. cloth. No, it's not shade cloth. It's actually ground cloth. Um, it's woven also. It allows for water to go through, but not that fast. And it stops the pests from coming up and eating your plants. So that's pretty good. And that's like a six-foot roll by 300 Get it for like 80 bucks. And then you also have the shade cloth up top too, right? Sometimes. This, this, this summer has been crucial in California. I don't know if you're in California, but... Um, it's crucial. No, it's I'm like, in Vegas. It's hot out there too. <laughs> but yeah, it's been hot and dry, so I've been needing to cover the plants up. Just give them a break. So it sounds like your construction is pretty cheap, right? You mentioned you know pressure treated wood that comes up. There's beams along the middle uh, connected to two by fours, kind of looping around. Plastic up top. You got the cloth on the bottom. How much does something like that roughly cost? Would you say that greenhouse cost me about. 800 bucks, around 800. The plastic is the most expensive thing. The plastic is costing around 400 bucks a roll, you know, um, from 250 to 400, depending on the size, the width, and the length. And um, the other greenhouses, those are four by fours along the edges because this needs more support because it's wider. If I could take it back, I would just do 10 foot greenhouses, though. Very simple. And then how are you attaching the plastic to the actual beams and stuff? Is it just like a staple gun or, or what are you doing? No, no, no. That'll rip up fast. So you use those one-by-twos, like fern strips, cut little pieces, and then just kind of screw it into the plastic tight, screw it into the wood where it just smashes against the, um, the, the other, each opposite sides of the wood and the plastic in between. Yeah, it keeps it all tight. In that size greenhouse, how many plants do you run? I mean, I know it's going to vary depending on what type of plants you have. You know, if you're growing lettuce, kale, bok choy, some type of leafy green, give it a lot more plants in a greenhouse that size versus a plant that particularly takes up like a two-foot-by-two-foot space, a three-foot-by-three-foot space, so on and so forth. So for you, uh, for the plants you're growing, uh, how many plants do you roughly fit in those grow, those greenhouses um a good rule of thumb is about two feet by two feet per plant and i want some walkways to get in and water even if it's set up with irrigation you still want to be able to get in and pick leaves and hand water sometimes so in the 10 by 30 i have 60 plants and in a 20 by 30 i have two separate rows so I have 96 plants. Gotcha. So you have 
two separate walkways. How wide are the walkways so you can get in there? About a foot and a half. Okay. Yeah. About a foot and a half. So about eighteen inches yeah. or so. Okay, that makes sense. And that, that should get you should be able to get in there, do whatever you got to do. Um, watering's a big thing, right? Yes. Um, what type of water do you use? Do you are you using rainwater, tap water, well water? Tap water. Our water comes out around one forty ppm, so it's fairly good. Um, I never seen any any issues with cow mag or mineral deposits or anything. It's pretty good. And then, so it's basically directly from a hose. Are you, is there like a filter? Sometimes people attach a filter to it to filter I out some to, of the... I used to use filters and everything, but I've seen that it doesn't, the plant doesn't care. I'm an advocate for that. I really don't think the plant cares about the science that we keep trying to implement on it. I think it's overboard. It's just a sales tactic. I think the plant has been growing fine, and it's it will continue to. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we get into, and a lot of things you hear online, people in videos, try to overcomplicate the process. And I've had a lot of guests over the, um, the six months that I've been doing this that have just mentioned that they like to keep it simple, you know? And, and so doing things like that where you're not filtering out some of the things that are in there, the plant will still grow, for sure. Now, are you doing hand watering, or do you have an auto-watering system, or what? I have both. I do both. Um, I like to feed with hand watering. I like the food to get everywhere in the media. So in the the 20 by 30 greenhouses, I use beds. So twice a week, I'll hand water the beds. And then the rest of the time, I have it on the time dripper, just straight water, like once or twice a day because it's hot during the day. So got to keep it hydrated. Gotcha. Can you talk a little bit more about the dripper system you have? Uh, I assume you have it hooked up to like a reservoir. What size reservoir would it be and kind of how does that work? The drip system I have is hooked up to the main spigot for the house, like a house spigot outside garden hose type. And from the spigot, I use a 25 pressure regulator, 25 PSI pressure regulator, a regular Walmart garden timer, and that goes to a water hose to the um to a Y connector filter, like a one fifty micron mesh filter. And then from there it goes to the half inch hose. And that hose goes around in a loop in the greenhouse. And then little quarter inch hoses go to the plant connected to four gallon per hour drippers. Got it. And then how how long did you say you had the time how often does that timer come on to I turn it on five thirty in the morning for twenty minutes. And then I know you have one greenhouse with beds. And then I've seen in some of your videos you have grow pots as well. And, and yes. you're in soil. What size grow pots are those plants in? 10 gallons. Okay. So those are 10 gallons. Those are the fabric pots. and Not the fabric ones. I use the plastic because I'm always changing my mind. So, like, beds, I think, are the future for me. And I didn't want to get smart pots spending 10 bucks a pot. That's like 600 bucks for 60 plants where I could spend like 50 cent and have um, the same amount for way cheaper. That makes sense. And it works. I don't get yeah. any of those issues. A lot of people say that the plastic is going to get too hot. The roots are going to burn, things are like that. But I've never seen any issue. Like I said, again, it's a lot of sales, a lot of sales tactics. <laughs> 
so for soil, what type are you using? Is there a particular brand you're using? Are you creating your own mix or what? It depends on how you want to work. If you want to live in soil, you want to amend your own soil and do your own thing. If you want to feed, it really doesn't matter what soil. Like, what are you, what are you worrying about the soil for if you're going to be feeding it anyway? Because it's just a media to hold the roots in and keep the stalk strong, right? So I just use a regular happy frog for outdoor. It's just simple. Got some mycorrhizae in there to help start it off right. And after it's starting off, I'm going to be feeding it. So I didn't really worry about that. Now with the beds, I got compost in there. I got a um, soil builder that has all the feather mills and chicken manure, bat guanos, things like that in there. But um, as far as really amending my own soil, I haven't done that yet. Okay, so it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're doing two different things where you have using synthetic bottled nutrients on one greenhouse and then you're kind of doing the living soil uh, organic in your beds. Is yes. that correct? Yes. What, now, what are you using for the bottled nutrients? House and garden. Okay. Do you use their complete lineup and do you follow their feeding chart or do you no. do a half dose or how do you do the feedings? I noticed 1,000 milliliters per 55-gallon drum for A and B. The whole way through. Nice. So no additives, no CalMag, no silica, no nothing? No CalMag. Um, Epsom salt, sometimes. Sometimes Epsom salt. But for the most part, it's just A and B. It works. Gotcha. Keep it simple. And I know in your living soil side of things, what are you using for nutrients there? And then I know, I know you're also doing a cover crop as well. I've seen yeah. a video where it was just sprouting up. Can you talk to us about what you'd use for nutrients and then kind of your cover crop and such? The living soil thing kind of got screwed up. I started it off like that, but I ran into a nitrogen deficiency, like a really bad one. It just wasn't getting any nitrogen. So I went to house and garden. I had to give it, give it what it needed. And then they just perked up, greened up. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to practice this next year on the living soil side of things. I'm going to go ahead and cover crop still, keep that healthy and and cut it down and kind of just work the soil a little bit for next year. But for now, I'm just going to go ahead and keep the house and garden thing going because I can't waste time and, you know, I don't want to waste a crop. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Got to do what you got to do, do, right? You do. And the cover crop, I love it. It's just It just looks great. It just looks like you're out in nature. It looks like a whole other world down there. It's beautiful. Uh, what were you using for a cover crop, did you say? It's a mix on Amazon. Just like a five-pound bag of cover crop, like 20 bucks. I just got a few of those and sprinkled it. it got some clover in there, a couple types of clover, and other stuff I don't remember. Okay, and do you sprinkle that on at a certain point, or do you sprinkle it on, like, when the plant first sprouts? Do you wait, or what? Uh, you're actually supposed to do it a long time before, but I didn't. I kind of sprinkled it on after I um, planted and watered everything in. And then about a week or so, they start growing up. I also got some alyssum flowers, yarrow. Um, what else do I have in there? Uh, two types of yarrow, actually. And I'm using that because I want to start giving some beneficial bugs, and that'll help feed the bugs. So I'm trying to, I'm not a professional at the living soil thing. I'm just trying to figure it out. Continuous improvement, right? You got to keep on learning. That's one thing I love about gardening is there's just so many different ways to do it. Yeah. 
and uh, the continuous learning. I mean, it, it's not like you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? It's you're always changing. Pushing yourself to learn more. Yeah, it's always yeah. changing. It's always it something new. And what I'm starting to learn is like when you look at gardening, you look at the planet Earth. It's always changing. There's wildfires. There's uh, monsoons. They got everything on this planet, but the plants still live. So just keep on trying new things and figuring it out. Yep, absolutely. Let's hop over into environment. So with greenhouse growing, um, you know, it's completely different from uh, growing indoors, right? I know you have an indoor operation as well. Um, you know, indoors, temperature, humidity can easily get out of control. And there's pieces of equipment where you can put in there to regulate. Greenhouse is going to be a little different there. Yeah. Let's go one by one. Let's start with temperature. So in one of your recent videos, I saw that you don't even have a temperature gauge on there because no. you feel like you can't control it. So let me ask you, how high have temperatures gotten? Do You, you don't have any type of cooling in there at all? Or? No, I don't. Um in the 20 by 30s, it's really, like, hotter over there. And it's funny because it's not far away from the 10 by 30, but it's, like, for some reason, it gets hot in there. It was up to, like, 107 one day, and the plants wow. were happy. They didn't care about it. As long as the plants had water at the roots, they were fine. They were just fine. Nice. Yeah, I mean, they're resilient. They can take it, right? They could take it. I went to a friend's house, and you could walk up close to his greenhouse, and you could just feel the heat coming out. And I was like, why don't he lift the sides up? What's wrong with him? And I get closer, and I'm like, I'm kind of going in there. It was 122 degrees in there, and the plants were just praying, not worried about a thing. It's just amazing. plant could take it. Wow. And so you lift up your sides, right? I had to. And it wasn't even for the plants. It was more like for me, just to make sure that they were getting wind flow and things like that. But they never looked bad, you know. So I think a lot of times we do things for us instead of the plant because the plant could take it. So just to kind of go back, you have that plastic that wraps up and kind of up and around and over. So you're just basically lifting it up on both sides. Yeah. So the sides, when you have the four by four to two by fours for your support. You're screwing that that, um, fern strip up at the top so it gives you the bottoms to roll up and just use a regular clamp to keep it open. Something simple. You know, this is a simple greenhouse. They have way better automated systems. It costs 20s and 30s of thousands of dollars. But just for this, it's really simple. Just lift it up, roll it up, keep it tight, put a clamp on it, and now your side's open. Yeah, sounds easy. Yep. And lifting it up, it's good to have that flexibility yeah. so you can aerate. Right? I can imagine some people building a greenhouse and not building that flexibility into it. So well, then they're kind of screwed in a sense. It's know? funny because I didn't at first. I kept the size down, and I figured that the, that the openings on each end would create a wind tunnel. But when it's not windy, you got to open those sides up. <laughs> you have to. That makes sense. Now, in the wintertime... Uh, you know, temperatures can get pretty cold there. Do you do anything in regards to, do you have any like heating system or anything, or do you just let shut it down? Oh, you shut it down. You don't even grow in the greenhouse at all in the wintertime. What months typically is that? Um, right when it's over like September, October, 
Let's go ahead. So with the with these beds, if I decide to keep the same structures, which I might not, because I noticed that I'm losing um, a lot of square footage by having three separate structures instead of one large one. It's a lot of square footage that I could fill in, a lot of blank space. So I might just scratch the whole thing and start over. Gotcha. So utilizing space is a big thing for you, huh? It's probably one of your main goals to do is utilize space. Well, at first, I like things to be nice. And, um, you know, I like nice lines. I like things to work right. I like one one um, plant variety in each greenhouse so I could have everything cohesive. So that's why I made three. But now I'm looking at I got aisles down the greenhouse, inside the greenhouse, and around the greenhouse. So let's cancel out the betweens and insides and use all that space for canopy and just um, make one big structure. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now what about humidity? Kind of sticking on the environment thing. Humidity, um, are you doing any? Can't really do too much. So whatever the humidity is outside, it's going to be inside. And uh, humidity comes with rain, right? So I'm not doing anything in the raining season, so I never worry about it. It's down to like 20%. It's fine. It's really weird coming from indoor to greenhouse because all the, all the people say 75, 50. That's like a norm, right, for indoor. And now with LED lights, they're saying 82, 84, 65, 70 percent humidity vpd and such i've seen the best flower in the greenhouse with total different numbers i'm talking about 84 in a day 55 at night colors exploding out through the buds you know what i mean everything a lot of color a lot of color i can imagine yep for sure now When humidity gets high, one of the concerns, and this can happen in a greenhouse, I don't know if you've encountered it before, is, is powdery mildew. Have you encountered powdery mildew at all? or No. Nothing. Okay. That's good. No. Because it's not high in a greenhouse. Well, it, it, is, it gets high for – I cover the greenhouse at 5 p.m., and I uncover at 10 o'clock to induce flowering on certain varieties. And that time, it's humid. And it's hot. But it's such a short time, I don't see any issues. And you also have plenty of air circulation anyways. I've seen your videos. Um, Can you talk a little bit about air circulations, how many fans you have for that greenhouse? I have four in in one and three in the rest. And it's enough airflow. It's enough airflow. You go in, you can feel air movement. That's all that's really needed. Just keep it up top, you know, keep that keep that air circulation. And then the sides and the other opposite ends, they keep a nice, nice little vortex of wind. So that's great. Yeah, it's so key for sure. Now, what about CO2? Anything for CO2 or just outside CO2? Outside. outside. You can't do anything because it's not a sealed space. It's never sealed. If that greenhouse was sealed, you're talking about 160 degrees. You can't do that. You know, you can't do that. Yeah, unless you would have cooling and stuff like that. But um, Yeah, and that's a total different structure. We're talking about way more construction, way more power. It's, it, it's, it's not difficult, 
it's just a total different construction. Costs will go through the roof, right, with all that electricity consumption? No, no. You can use a swamp cooler okay. on, one, on one end, um, enclosed, like, a, like you put boards up, create a wall, put a swamp cooler there, and have a small fan on the opposite end that just makes the um, cool air flow through the greenhouse. I thought about that, too. You know, I thought about it a lot, but it's working simpler without buying the expensive equipment and things like that. Cool. Let's switch it up and let's talk about lighting. So one of the benefits of growing outdoors in a greenhouse is you get free lighting with the sun, right? The best. <laughs> so you don't have to spend any money on electricity consumption there, which is a good thing. I believe you're using supplemental lighting uh, as yeah. needed. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you use and when you use it? Well, when you want to extend the daytime a few hours, maybe four hours in the beginning to keep things in a vegetative state, I just use these um, LED strip lights, and they work. They work pretty good. And I just use those, keep it on a timer, and um, that's it. That's only for like a few weeks. After that, I'm just using the sun. And the sun is the best. If you have a par meter, you know what I mean. You go outside, it's 1,700 par. You know, it's, it's, un, it's unrivaled. You can't mess with it. <laughs> you can't re- replicate it either, man. It's like, it's the best. Yeah. And when we're talking about the supplemental lighting, uh, you just a very small amount of light is needed, right? You're not going to need to po- power, you know, 400, 600 watts per 5 by 5 or whatever. Um, you just need no. a small amount. Do you, do you know how many like watts each of those LED are? Any idea how much? Oh, those are only uh, like 18 watts a piece. It's nothing. And they're bright enough. And the plants will still droop like they're asleep, but they're still they're still collecting that light and keeping it in that in that vegetative state. So it works. I know you said you have a par meter. Do you have any idea how much power that is just with the supplemental lighting? You know, I never checked that. Okay. That would be interesting. Yeah. It would probably be around, I would think, around 200, maybe 400 PPFD at the most. Probably not even that. Probably like a T5. Mm. Probably like a T5. Just like 200. That's it. Yep. Not light is not a lot of light is needed for supplemental lighting. No. That's cool. It's not. I see people with Kavitas inside, and it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Overkill, man. And that's a lot of electricity. Yeah. Oh, it adds up. Now, how about light deprivation? Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that, what you do for that? That's simple. That's what I mean by um, using a supplemental light for a few hours. When you're first planting, you want the roots to expand through the pot until before you flower, right? So sun comes up at 6 o'clock. This is just for hypothetical. Sun is up at 6, goes down around... Say it was going down around seven, but you don't want to go veg. So you need five more hours of supplemental light till 12. So that's your vegetative state. Now, when you want to stop that, you cut off your supplemental lighting and you tarp it. I tarp at five. I tarp at 5 p.m. So I pull a black sheet over. That's light proof, leak proof, light leak proof. Um, Put that down over all the sides. Put like some cinder blocks on it to keep it down. And I'll keep that on till 10 at night when it's as dark as it's going to get for the night. Uncover it. 
and let the sun wake the plants up in the morning. So I use, so I'm really at 13 hours of darkness. Gotcha. Now this black sheet, uh, do you know what type of material is it? Is it, is it actually a black tarp or? No, it's just a six mil black and white poly, like the Panda film. They got, they got way better ones because these rip a lot. So next year I will not be using them because the six mil is just the cheapest of the bunch. And it's really probably made for um, just people that's doing it for a season, you know. And if you want to get more technical, it's 14 mil woven that will not rip at all. But we're talking about 1400 bucks a roll, you know, but it's worth it. Think about it. If you're going to be doing it, it's worth getting the right stuff. Even the right clear plastic, the same thing. Have you ever had any problems with kind of doing that transition to where plants turned into hermaphrodites or anything? Or have you messed up the light schedule at all? I'm just kind of wondering, curious on that. Sounds like that would be something easy to mess up on. Well, when you look at a PAR meter, you will see that you can see and the PAR read like five. Five compared to 1,700, it's not going to affect it. You see, I think the higher the the light intensity is during its daylight, the more leeway you have for its night cycle. You see what I'm saying? I think it has a little more leeway. But like I said, I'm not a scientist. I'm just knowing what I see, and I know I have rips in the plastic sometimes, like little spots, and nothing ever happens. Gotcha. Whereas indoor, that might be an issue. Yep. I know a common question I get all the time is like, oh, the moon has light. And why don't plants continue to grow on the moonlight and stuff like that? And it's like, well, it's not enough photons of energy. It's not going to drive photosynthesis at all, right? So It's not. That's, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like we could see, but the plant doesn't absorb that light, not that starlight or moonlight or nothing. Even like uh, my neighbor has a bright light in his yard. And I was scared of it because it's like so bright, but it didn't, it didn't register on a par meter. It wasn't registering anything. Let's flip it up and let's talk about plant support. So I know you do a couple different things to support. So once the plants grow up big to a certain point, they might have flowers on them. They're so heavy that are going to kind of flop all over the place. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you do for plant support? Well, in the beginning... In the beginning, I just use a bamboo stake to hold them up and get the roots strong enough to hold yourself if I need it. You know, not all plants need it. Um, then after that, just trellis. Trellis works. And trellis is needed when you got a lot of plants. You need trellis because that will be a lot of bamboo. And then you'll need to clip. I use these orchid clips. I don't have any here, but I use these little orchid clips and just clip a stalk to the bamboo. Not the bottom stalk, but like the top. Just clip it to the bamboo, and that works great. At what point are you adding in the stakes in the trellis? Too late. <laughs> always too late. <laughs> I'm always waiting to like week two of flower to add trellis, and I should start off with trellis right over the canopy and then go into flower. So it gets that support on all of it. Because I always start late. I don't know why, what's wrong with me, but I got to fix that. Are you doing any type of like plant training, uh, whether it be topping, defoliation, um, leaf tucking, lollipopping, anything like that? or Always lollipop. I always clean up the bottoms, um, and I always top. 
I just keep it simple and top. Uh, I've been doing that for like six years. Just, just top. Get about eight tops on there. That's that's enough. For me, that's enough. Some people argue and say, "Veg two weeks longer, top more, and top more." And it's like two weeks is a long time. I don't. We're on schedule, you know. So no, I'm gonna do it this way. <laughs> you gotta love backseat growers always sitting oh, behind the computer telling you how to grow your plants <laughs> all day all day in the comments do this do this do this and i check their page and i'm like what are you doing you know leave me alone uh, that's funny no two grows are alike you know everybody does it their way like outside i don't see the need for a full trellised canopy because the penetration of the sun is going to get down to the lowers and it's all going to be usable material in my opinion all right ipm and pest control so integrated pest management we probably should have talked about this first i feel like i always talk about this last at the podcast but really i mean this is one of the one of the more important things right especially when you're growing outdoors is these it pests is. they can completely ruin your crop if you're not if you don't have things under control so. it's very important yeah. And it's one of those things that um, I lack on sometimes, uh, trying to be more preventative. But it seems like a lot of products just don't work. Like a lot of stuff just, especially with spider mites. I don't know, but the California spider mite will swim through almost all your products. You have to be spraying diligently like every three days or even with the beneficials. I didn't see any anything um really work so today no tomorrow tomorrow i'll be getting some green lace wings in green lace wing larvae and that's what the list some flowers are for because they'll eat that while they're staying around and getting to the getting to the mites or getting to the other pests so hopefully this works because i'm ordering five thousand and i've got it on a schedule to come every week so every week 5,000, 5,000. So hopefully this works because I tried the Neocillus californicus predator mite. I didn't see anything work. It just didn't work. So it's spider mites in particular that you're battling. Are there any other pests that you're... Aphids. Okay. Aphids. I had aphids and I sprayed spinosad and I never seen an aphid again. It was amazing. I was like, wow, this really works. And that was just a safer brand. Went in there, sprayed it, and they just disappeared. I was like, okay, that works. I got to keep that in the, in the tuck. Yeah. And I'm liking this takedown spray from Monterey. Takedown spray. Hmm. That's working pretty good also. And it leaves a nice little coat on your leaves, a little shine. So it's pretty good. Okay. So those are some of the pests you've, you've encountered and kind of how you battle them. Do you do anything – in like the vegetative stage as like an, is that preventative at all? Or are you doing like a neem oil or are you doing anything, uh, any type I of, I did, I did neem oil. I did sulfur. I try to, I try to mix everything up because I always have plants around. So you know how plant, you know how pests are. They, 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 they leave like, um, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they get immune to it over a while. It so build up, like, a tolerance to it. A yeah. tolerance, yeah. So I'm kind of mixing it up all the time. And I can't say anything works 
more than just continuing, continuing spraying and just making sure. Just keep doing it. And it is just keep everything clean. Whatever you use, just keep using it, switch it up, and just do it at least once a week, at least once a week. Right when you think things are just perfect, spray. Just do it. And a lot of people say they don't spray, they don't do this, and it's like, here, it's, it's necessary. It's very necessary. Just don't spray bad things, you know? Don't spray the bad stuff. Yeah, there have been times where I've been lazy on my outdoor garden, my little vegetable garden I have. I have a two-foot-by-ten-foot bed, and, uh, you know, when you miss the sprays and stuff, I think I missed the spray like three or four weeks in a row, and then and then we get all the way up to harvest time, and I'm going into harvest and just loaded with aphids, and I'm just like, yeah, the aphids <laughs> suck because they look disgusting. They yeah. just look disgusting. It's like, oh, no, you don't even want to touch it or be around it. But, yeah, the spinosad works for that. Use the spinosad just once a week. Just use it. I'm going to have to try that out for sure. I yeah. haven't used spinosad yet. Really? So, yeah. yeah that's, like a, that's like a secret ingredient in a lot of things. Yeah. Well, I mostly grow indoors, and yeah. I, you don't really need much indoors, you know, as long as your environment's pretty clean and stuff like that, and you take the precautions of not going directly from outdoors directly into your grow tent and stuff like that. So you can kind of get away with See, not I can't doing do a that. lot of these IPM stuff. I can't do that. I can't. I'm everywhere. So yeah. I just got to stay up on my, my sprays. And a lot, of, a lot of times you'll pick up problems from your garden supply also. So you got to be careful with that. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a, a really lot, good point. A lot of people, a lot of people going to that garden supply, dropping their issues off right there. So be careful. Amazon, you know, just order it. <laughs> Come to your door and just just do it like that. All right. So we went over quite a bit today. A couple final questions. There are a lot of people who are just getting started with greenhouse growing. And I imagine that there are people clicking on this this podcast episode and they're a beginner. They're looking for advice. What advice would you have for somebody who's kind of just starting out greenhouse growing? For a greenhouse, I get a lot of DMs all the time about questions about the greenhouse. Don't overthink it. Just build the structure and think about what could go wrong while you're building it. For say, like you're using PVC without a center beam it might collapse on you. You never know. PVC is hard, but it might collapse. So use one inch PVC, you know, you can make it thicker. Um, cement it in, cement your boards in, your support boards. Um, and that's about it. Cause you can get away with doing the cheapest greenhouse ever. It'll work, you know, it'll work. But if you want to be if you want to be in it for the long run, just go ahead and spend the right amount of money for the right items, and just and just do some research, and look at the new look at the new greenhouses that are built with steel, and try to replicate that. That's what I would say. Try to replicate that. Perlins, you know, what I mean, just go all out. But if you can't buy a cheap greenhouse from Amazon, and that's the best start. That's your best start right there. Steel structure, vented, roll-up door, you know, that's your best That's your best bet. I think that's some good advice yeah. for sure. So where can the listeners find you, and what do you have upcoming in the future? Uh, Frosty McNasty, 
on Instagram, on YouTube, um, the Green Table Podcast on YouTube and Instagram. And for the future, I'm just um, I have a strain called Shorty Air. It's a it's a it's very nice. I plan on 2022 that strain being a lot of places, a lot of places. So yeah, just just keep on being an asset to the community. Not trying to take from it, just trying to help and be a support for other people. Awesome. I will link Frosty McNasty's Instagram and channel down in the description section below. And also I'll link it to your podcast channel as well. So Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Cool. Yeah, head on over there. Give him a subscribe or a follow. And uh, yeah, Frosty, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. You're Definitely welcome. a lot of good information. And uh, Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. All right, you too.